Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there, welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Um, I'm on my own today because Kate's got a big week um, with her kind of family and her son and and, um, we are adhering to our own rules of self-care. So she's uh, having to look after herself this week. So sending her a big hug and a kiss. Um, But I'm really excited today because I'm delighted to welcome Alex and Lisa from Sober Experiment, which are wonderful women doing brilliant stuff uh, for the sober community. And they have their own podcast as well and do events, but we'll get into that in a moment. So hi, girls. How are you doing? Hi, Hi, Mandy. Very well, thank you. Yeah. So we always just start the podcast by uh, checking in. So um, yeah, how's things up in up in the north? I won't do terrible northern accents. <laughs> <laughs> you can if you want. We've got a very broad northern accent. So yeah, it's, it's cold, it's miserable, but yeah, we're we're um, hanging on in there. We're both quite positive today, aren't we? Yeah, we're having a good day today. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, um yeah pretty stormy over here in France um I can't see the sea you know first world problems yeah normally I can see the sea from where I'm sat but I can't today because it's just a grey mass um so yeah so I'm really delighted that you're here I'm actually going to be speaking on a panel with you girls soon um it's on the 26th 7th 28th 28th in London so we'll get and talk about that event in a bit but um I just wanted to get to know you guys really a little bit about your story so um tell us about yourselves your friendship and what brought you both uh to the decision to go alcohol three okay I don't know who wants to start so we we met um in high school, uh, about 11, 12 years old, and we were introduced by our parents who um, my father and Lisa's stepfather had been friends for a very long time. My dad was a musician, um, spent most of his life out doing clubs and pubs, singing and playing his guitar. And Lisa's stepdad was just absolutely, he was just an amazing person. He loved music, he loved socialising, he loved singing, and that's how they met. So, we were thrown together. Thankfully, we got on, um, even though I did offend Lisa on our first sleepover by saying she looked like somebody that now she knows and she's quite offended by it. I'm but still offended. She's still offended. <laughs> it was 30 years ago. And it was just one angle. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, um, we, we met that way and we just hit it off straight away. We just found we had so much in common. So, obviously, we grew up together. We started drinking at the same time. We... Uh, tried smoking to, well no that's not strictly true I tried smoking and then confessed to Lisa that I tried smoking and she said I'll do it as well because you've done it so <laughs> not that I'm a sheep we'd made a deal well, yeah we had made <laughs> a deal we was never ever gonna do it and if one of us did then the other had to do it so really I blame Alex for my years of smoking because I accept full blame I didn't smoke for as long and I did get Lisa addicted um yeah um, and now we, neither of us smoke um and then we kind of went through the stage of meeting boys at the same time then we we kind of went through the stage of getting married at the same time we went through a divorce at the same time we had children at the same time so our lives kind of mirrored each other and yeah I, I think it's best that you take over why you went sober here actually Lisa Oh, okay. <laughs> um, why I went sober, I, I was more of a binge drinker rather than an everyday drinker. And I was going through a bit of a rough time with, I know we've just been speaking about this, but with my youngest child at the time and my husband. So we would like drink every weekend. We'd have friends round, we'd sit at the table, we'd buy loads of wine, we'd put the worlds to right. And it became every single weekend and it started to really grind me that alcohol was taking over my entire weekend. Um, I decided to kind of moderate a little bit at that point, which highlighted how much my husband was drinking at the time, um, which caused 
yeah, we ended up splitting up. <laughs> long, long story short, yeah. <laughs> we, we ended up splitting up. So then what I did is I would go out and be kind of like, oh, it's all right, piss potting. While I was going out, getting pissed with all my friends, <laughs> like talking about how bad he was. And I was like doing exactly the same. So every weekend what I was doing then, I was binging and I was using it to escape what at the time was a bit of a shit show of life and <laughs> um, I was going out I was feeling sorry for myself I was oversharing with people I was hmm. finding myself in ridiculous places that I just didn't want to be in it, it was all getting to a little bit woe is me um, and I'm not that kind of person no. No. I just had enough and I'd found I'd gone out one night to Sunday club like, is that just something that people create? Just because they want to create it. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, so I ended up at this Sunday club, ended up back at somebody's house, and there was a few of us there till like three in the morning. So that's a Monday morning. And then I had to mm. be up on the Monday for work to sort the kids out for school. And I just thought, I cannot do this anymore. I've absolutely had enough. I am never, ever, ever, ever drinking again. <laughs> And I know we've all said that. I downloaded um, Catherine Gray's Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. I was listening to that. And everything she said, I was like, oh, my God, that's me. So that was kind of, I knew really, really quite early on that it was going to be off uh, forever, even though I'd said it before. Yeah, and you'd said it was 100 days originally, hadn't you? And she put it on her social media, and there's no way Lisa goes back on anything no. she says she'll do. So there was mm. definitely 100 days going in the bag. Definitely 100 days. And when I'd said I were doing this 100 days and I'd put it on social media, I then kind of flipped through my calendar and I was like, oh, I've got a holiday booked. Oh, I've got two holidays, but oh, it's my birthday. <laughs> it's my daughter's like, birthday. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? How will I even cope doing all these things without drinking? But because I am stubborn, I was doing it. And um, oh my gosh, it's just the best thing I ever, ever did. So yeah, that's kind of why I got sober. <laughs> and on that month, so, so, so I so I presume so, so Sunday club is that just basically like an excuse to drink on a Sunday yeah 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 okay <laughs> we call them soup we call them super Sundays yeah so you've got yeah, yeah, same every thing. day of the week haven't you Lisa oh, I used to white wine Wednesday Thursday Thursday <laughs> then Friday and Saturday don't need a name and then this Sunday no they don't need a name they just yeah, yeah. so yeah so let just just a back because I'm interested just to sort of you know look a little bit so when you said that you um how many kids have you got just to start three so I've got three, three kids yeah. okay and so how old were you when you started thinking like um okay or how old were you when the, the the kind of things started to shift up I suppose with your family situation and you were like right you know binge drinking every weekend um about 30 all through my 30s, I think, actually. I'm 40 now. So I think from being 30, like when the kids were younger, I was quite stay at, stay at home. I didn't really drink that much. If I did, I was a binger, so, but it was very rare. But I think from being 30 and a previous marriage breakdown, I'd kind of started to use drink very differently than I had done before. Mm. Yeah, that's probably uh, that. That resonates with me. It's definitely like the switch was. That's from the thirties, basically. Yeah, from my thirtieth birthday. Yeah. Um, because I think it's like then you're like it's you're you're kind of continuing the behaviour that you were doing in your twenties, you know. But then it's like your your values of like being a mom and like of growing up. So you're kind of getting that kind of like, I don't know, that kind of iffy feeling of like I'm not quite sure that this is how I wanted to be at this age in my life and for me anyway I remember thinking like 
when I was younger and sort of drinking in pubs and clubs and when there were people in their thirties, like getting wasted, I used to think they were really sad. Yeah. I was like, oh, fucking like, God, I hope I don't do that when I'm like 30. That's ridiculous. And then I was there like hanging out with like the 20 year olds thinking I was really cool. And they were obviously probably thinking like, God, that woman is just, <laughs> what's she doing? Um, and, and all those little things, they were like little markers. And I was obviously ignoring them all at, at the time. But now I look back and it's like, yeah, you know, it was, that shift of like actually this isn't what I wanted in, at this stage in my life so that's really interesting so you just you just stopped you did your 100 days and that's it you've never looked back never looked back since never I know amazing <laughs> she, she's not gonna pretend it's all been easy no, no. but I, I, well actually I'm gonna be quite honest <laughs> yeah. I have found it quite easy I'm not gonna lie <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> people all the time, like, oh, it's so difficult and it's not all pink clouds, and you know, and I up until the last month or two, I have been on a pink fluffy cloud, so that's like nearly two years, and I'm taking that. <laughs> you know, things have still happened, life has still gone on, and you know, difficult things have happened within my life, but I've always known that I wouldn't go back to drinking. Yeah. I've thought this is this would be a trigger and this is when I would have had a drink, but I've not mm. actually thought that I want to drink. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, Alex, tell me a little bit about your decision. So Lisa phoned me on the day she decided to stop. And, you know, if in honesty, I was gutted. <laughs> um, I knew she'd do it. So I was really gutted mm. because I thought, well, who am I going to go out with now and be really bad with? Because when we went out, we went out and we would go out for lunch and just not arrive home until the early hours of the following <laughs> morning. And everybody knew that our husbands would actively try and keep us apart for that reason. Didn't work. We'd still go. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty gutted, if I'm honest. But it just held a mirror at me and I just thought, mm. oh my God, if she needs to stop, I drink exactly the same. So I drink at home. I'm a Friday, Saturday night bottle of wine person. And I'd got to the point where, um, so my husband would say things to me like, are you going to finish that bottle? Are you going to have all of it? So it, it obviously stepped up because he was noticing I was drinking a bit more and I would get really defensive and say things like, yeah, if I want it, it's only one bottle, I can have it if I want it. And then the disappointment in his face would lead me to actually sneak in a last glass. So I would kind of drink maybe two thirds of it. And then in the kitchen, pour an inch of wine in the bottom of the glass and just neck it, just not even taste it, just neck it because, well, I don't even know why, probably because I was addicted, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there was that going on in the background that nobody knew about. And then about a Eight or nine months on from Lisa stopping drinking, I actually had a miscarriage at three months and my mental health just spiralled out of control. So obviously I'd stopped I'd stopped drinking for the pregnancy anyway, but mm. once I found out I'd had a miscarriage, I found out on the Friday and I had to wait for my surgery until the Monday, but I went straight to the pub. And I mean straight to the pub. I didn't even go home from the hospital, went straight to the pub, ordered Prosecco and just drank the whole day crying into my glass, basically. a real. I mean, I had a reason to, I suppose, but I was a sad act, sat in the corner of mm. my glass. Um, and then it deteriorated. So I was using the drink to kind of blot out the grief. And it worked for mm. a while, if I'm honest. Um, but what would happen is if I'd had more than two glasses, then I'd become distraught. And not only was I crying over the lost baby, but I was crying over my childhood, over my mistreatment with my parents, over my ex relationships and you name it, it just all came pouring out so I went through a period of counseling um and all the while I'm talking to Lisa about this and I was worried I was very worried about my drinking at this point it was only happening at weekends but it stepped mm. up and I was definitely using it to mask the grief and the pain um and then I just similar sort of situation about a year after Lisa had stopped um I just woke up with the most disastrous hangover I couldn't even stand up straight. I was crawling around on all fours. I was vomiting. I knew I'd poisoned mm. myself. And it hadn't been the first time. And I took a photo of myself, took a little video to say, look how awful you look, which I've still got. And I will post one day when I'm brave enough. Um, phone Lisa and said, I'm going to stop for a little while as well. I'm going to just stop for 30 days um, and see how I feel. And it's pretty similar, really. Within 10 to 12 days, once the alcohol was out of my system, I knew 
that this would be it would be a more difficult journey for me because I had a lot to deal with along the way mm. um, and I had to heal my mental health which took a lot of effort and still I work on it daily um, and yeah I, I didn't go back from there and Lisa just said to me oh you're not going to go back to drinking I know you won't mm. and I had I had the right support you know my husband went sober with me he's a, he agreed to do a year with me to support me um my dad. oh that can make me a bit emotional god oh, well done on your husband oh, 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 oh. <laughs> we'll start in a minute <laughs> yeah. um but yeah I, you know I think that uh, we went through a lot together and separately and a lot of similarities but a lot of differences so that helps us to kind of help other people in many ways yeah and I think that's something that's really interesting to kind of highlight for people because, you know, it is a big deal to stop drinking and it can feel extremely lonely and extremely kind of isolating, you know, and you feel like, yeah, you're the black sheep of your social circle or whatever. And like, but you are, and, and people's reactions can be quite extreme because you are a mirror and, you know, that's a brilliant phrase to use. Um, but what I've found over the years is, you know, I'll get little messages from people, you know, random people that I've grown up with of like, oh, my God, you know, thank you. Like, uh, I never told you, but my dad was a drinker, you know, and this happened in my life. And, you know, this has really helped me or friends just like, God, it's actually really inspiring. And, you know, and just being able to just, you know, you're not judging people. You're not like saying what should do, but leading by example can be so, so impactful on people around you um and um, amazing well well done both of you because it's you know it's wicked so how many days where what so you're nearly two years Lisa you said yeah yeah and I'm nearly one yeah Yeah. amazing yeah and um yeah and I you know thank you for your honesty Alex because it it is you know a lot of us are using it to mask pain you know and painful experiences and that's one of the reasons why I knew I had to stop because if I focused on you know some some catastrophic thing happening to me you know some someone I love dying or someone you know something happening to my kids I knew I just absolutely knew my first thing would be to grab the bottle and that's what I've always done and you know and it was like when you I think my because what happened to me because I went back and forth back and forth I did a year and then I started drinking again and when we were on holiday in Spain and my my son jumped into the pool and he hit his head on uh, kind of the metal cover and he he just cut his eyebrow open, but it was like shitload of blood. Yeah. Um, and we just sat down to kind of have the aperitif, like have a glass of wine, you know, whilst getting the barbecue ready and all that sort of stuff. And it was that moment of just like, like thank God I hadn't drank. Yeah. But shit, like I can't cope with this, you know. It was just like <laughs> I can't cope, and it was like, and and that that night I woke up as I often did at four in the morning and that was kind of my when I was moderating my thing I'd go like three months of not drinking and then be better my mental health be better and I'll be like oh of course I can drink I live in France I love red wine and then but always in the back of my head it was like if you wake up again at four in the morning then you stop and so this would be my thing and I'd basically do for about two years after I did a year sober and then I went back I'd like drink for about three months until I literally couldn't drink anymore um, because my mental health would be so bad then I'd stop for about three months and then I'd start again. And that was kind of my thing that I did. And it was actually like a plan. It was like, I'll just drink until I can't drink anymore. <laughs> and then take a break and then feel a bit better. Um, and so that night I woke up and it was just those those things. Just like I knew that if anything happened, like I had to deal with how I cope with pain. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had no way of dealing with with death or with extreme pain and I had a lot of pain and I was masking a lot from you know my own experiences and it was just like right you need to find another way otherwise you're gonna end up killing yourself basically so so fair play to you um and so you mentioned Catherine Gray's book you mentioned each other which is so key for support to have like you know uh, a sober bestie or just to have someone that you really relate to what other um tips or groups or things did you do that really helped you to quit I think in the early days is I know like you just said about the support of people it is really important and when I stopped I didn't know anybody 
sober. Everybody I knew drank, and that's just what we did for like every single occasion. Um, So when I stopped, it was quite a lonely period. So although I found it quite, I knew I didn't want to do it, I was on my own a lot. So the Quitlit books were an essential part for me. They really, really helped me. Also, Facebook groups. I'd found a Facebook group. It was really small at the time. It's huge now. So I don't know what I'd have done without it because I felt that I could really put my heart and soul into it. Like nobody really knew who I was. None of my friends saw that group. So I could really put down, you know, if I was having a rough day. Or when there was times like with three teenagers and me stopping drinking, they weren't getting away with murder anymore. So they thought I'd changed. They didn't like the idea that I'd stopped drinking. They were like, what are you doing? You know, Only you, initially they wanted Oh, they love it now. But at the beginning, they didn't mm. like it at all. So I felt that they was quite against my decision. So just to have a group that I could go on to and say, oh, my kids hate me. Everybody thinks this. You know, it was a really really good release for me and um Instagram as well so I met a couple of friends through an Instagram post Joe and Hannah and we set something up called Be Sober Manchester now that's a meetup for just like-minded people that have stopped drinking and still want to go out so we do like walks and we go for food we just we just we went to a morning rave that was pretty Mm, cool Um, but that was especially at the beginning that was like my godsend because it was meeting people that was in the same but they didn't drink and all their friends and family thought they were weird too. So it was yeah. more lovely to kind of surround myself by... With other weirdos. With other weirdos, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I posted about being a weirdo the other day. I love being a weirdo. Yeah. 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 And th- Who wants to be normal? Exactly. And I think, I don't know whether we've... I think we've all got something in common in this, but I was always quite a rebel. When I was at school, I was a rebel. And I do kind of see not drinking as an act of rebellion. I like it. I like being different and not doing what everybody else is doing. So, yeah. Yeah, that really helped me as well. That was because I was talking to someone about the other this the other day like people because we've got our community group and someone was saying I just can't I can't get it like I just you know and I was talking about my red wine thing you know that I live in France and it was so much part of my identity and it is it's that it's it's taking on the sober identity and and loving it and part of that for me was definitely the rebellion like Holly Whitaker's work when I saw that I was like that was a real light bulb just like oh yeah okay this is actually fucking cool and like I'm going again everything that everyone's doing and I'm not just numbing out and I'm not just following the crowd and like I'm gonna get a tattoo <laughs> you know, it's like I got a tattoo at like 34 or whatever it's just like yes finally sort of stepping into my own power of of who I'm supposed to be I suppose and and that's really interesting that you said that you set something up because that comes up for people too they're like there's nothing in my area and it's like well yeah set something up yourself you know and what will happen or I go to meetups and I don't really find my people it's like well if you lead it you're gonna bring people that mirror you you know you're gonna find your people so I always say to people just you know just put a shout out like wherever you live and see who comes up because you're not gonna get on with everyone they're not gonna be your best mates but you you just need that one person that like you can just really kind of have that support with so be sober is that b-e-e like the buzzy it is, yeah 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 okay um and you mentioned quit lit books so which Catherine gray is there another one that was really kind of i loved the sober diaries yeah mm, um, um mrs d going without yeah that was a good one you read a lot more. i read a few at I the beginning loads, yeah. and oh alan carr's easy way for women to stop drinking i read his method to stop smoking years and years ago and just really liked the method so i thought well let's give it a go let's try that so i really enjoyed that book and i don't think many people talk about that one that much but yeah yeah that's interesting because i didn't i mean i loved his book for stopping smoking and that is a lot of that kind of identity stuff because it was again it was like you know I was like 
smoke roll-ups and it was part of my kind of identity yeah. and blah 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 and when I sort of deconstructed all that and sort of was like no I'm going to be a non-smoker that really really helped and and I I used a lot of that methodology when I stopped drinking um but I've never read the stop drinking one so yeah it's it's a good one I might read it yeah, and it was see. Really yeah. good. I read it because Lisa told me to read it but I think my we're quite different in our the way that we educate ourselves aren't we and, mm. you know Lisa really related to more of the diary type sort of journaling um by Lotta Dan and by Claire Pooley and and Catherine Gray whereas I like facts and figures so mm. for me I found William Porter's book Alcohol Explained really useful um This Naked Mind Annie Grace that was a massive game changer for me I used to play that in the car but I still um I still always I, I have an audiobook on the go and it doesn't have to be um, a sober audio book. It can be some sort of self-help, you know, Mel Robbins or Jensen Chero, something like that. Um, and then I have a, um, an alcohol book on the go, whichever one's out at the time. So I've read Julia Carson's book, Sober Positive, was my last one that I read. Uh, our mutual friend. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And I read Simon Chappell's um, Sober Survival Guide. Um, and, I, and I just do that to keep, keep it in my mind of the reasons and um, but then I always have a fiction on the go as well so we're, we're very different how much time do you have I don't, I, I, do not, <laughs> I flip between them I have one on in the car if I'm not speaking to you and then I'll read my kind of fiction at bedtime to relax me and I might read a chapter of another one at some point when I can be bothered that's amazing yeah yeah I have an upstairs book and a downstairs book because I was like how can I get all this information in so I have my like fiction book upstairs for bedtime and then I have my like fact book I'm trying to read um the um body holds a score you know the about trauma which is an amazing book and but it's it's hardcore so I, I that's my downstairs book at the moment which is not <laughs> very well at the moment but anyway um and so my next question is about personal growth. So um, what's what's the biggest area of personal growth, you think? You mentioned your mental health. So I suppose that's, yeah, yeah a big one. But Yeah, massively. For me, um, I have realised that I have always suffered from anxiety. Now, I know where my anxiety came from. Um, and um, we're both about to become volunteer speakers for NACOA. Um amazing yeah and the reason that I'm doing that is my parents it started with my father I was an alcoholic a very heavy drinker my mum used to drink a lot as well and my entire childhood even though I love my parents and it's my normal and I don't need pity or anything like that my entire childhood revolved around being in a pub um drinking and uh, violence and upset um so my worries were really kind when you look back they seem insignificant but for a child they're quite terrifying so it was the fear of going home to an argument the fear of not knowing where my mum and dad might be and phoning around different pubs um the fear of somebody finding out about my mm. home situation mm. because they were my parents and I remember um I actually um sprained my wrist um in the middle of something in the middle of a situation and I was sent into school as normal. And I remember the teacher questioning me about it. So they must have had their suspicions, but I didn't mm. realise that. And I was like, oh, I did it doing a cartwheel and, you know, really kind of covering my tracks and things. There was nothing yeah. major to cover up. But it for me, it, I would do everything to protect that and to make sure it was kept a secret. So I would worry quite a lot about that and it the way that that came out was that I was such a hard worker at school I achieved everything I possibly could I did every exam I would do my homework on time I was so well behaved I, I had to have the perfect reputation I had to be the best um mm. what happened though that's quite a lot of pressure to put on yourself so you go through college you go through university you're still trying to be the best and failing my driving test was really traumatic because <laughs> I'd never failed at anything and I think yeah no I get it yeah I was really upset by that I failed twice I'm still upset clearly yeah um don't worry I failed like four times that makes I've I've told myself that people who fail more are definitely better drivers because they've had more experience learning anyway I'm not sure about that but yeah 
but um yeah I think um I, I think as an adult what's happened is now that the demands that I've put on myself to be perfect from the outside have eventually taken their toll because life's not perfect I'm not perfect and now I can I've got really good self-awareness and that's hmm. better in sobriety so I know when I've got a problem I'll talk through it. I identify. I've just done it earlier on today. There's a problem. I know what it is. I know how to deal with it. So, yeah, awareness. I wouldn't say that my mental health is any better or worse now. I've had bad patches. But to come out the other side and be able to identify what causes it, what my triggers are, what my usual go-to response would be, that's my biggest area of personal growth, 100%. Yeah, it's amazing. And, I, I mean, because I'm studying with um, Jolene Park at the moment, which is the most amazing thing. Um, and she does a lot in terms of kind of trauma and, you know, the neurotransmitters and how our body like um, goes through these things. And, you know, the adverse childhood experiences, which is the ACE study in the, in the States, is the biggest um, public health study that's ever been done. And, you know, there are direct links between, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And there's a list, I think, of about 12 and there is kind of, you know, substance abuse or divorce or, um, you know, neglect or feeling insecure and all these things. And they do have a direct link on on people's health. And the more that you've experienced, the more likely you are to either seek out to numb out with, you know, substances or to actually get ill, physically ill with kind of different things. So um, and then from that, if you if you're looking at kind of, you know, the neurotransmitters, you've probably got really low GABA you know so you get really really kind of anxious about things and you know and then there are things that you can do and when you start to learn this stuff it's like oh my god I can actually help myself like I know that actually if I I don't need to go for a run right now because it's not about like dopamine it's about GABA so I need to like take a bath or I need to go for a swim or eat some almonds or you know and it's incredible how much we can kind of learn and it's like as you say it's like no shame no blame and I think that's really important for us as mums because now I think my god like how have I impacted my kids do you know what I mean my experience but the the brilliant thing is is we can be the the ones to stop the chain in in a way and us stopping drinking is that first you know thing of like right this stops here and I can heal these things with my kids and I can look out for them and you know because my I think my daughter does have some trauma and that's something that I have to live with and 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 work through with her but being sober is amazing you know because like the other she I think because I used to get really angry um you know because I was dealing with a lot of stuff myself no shame no blame you know I have kind of a big kind of I have post-traumatic stress disorder so I think when things kind of got a lot and obviously I was hung over too I would just react because I wanted to self-protect you know and it was that thing of like too much noise or whatever it would like physically uh, impact on me um and so she's still now she has kind of problems to express her feelings because she doesn't want to say the wrong thing yeah. you know like you were sort of saying that thing of like if I stay perfect you know it's very much that you know if I stay perfect then I'm not gonna upset mummy um and so you know we've been working with a wheel kind of emotional wheel of just like just point to it like is it is it more like anger or is it more like frustration and so and she's 13 but she'll sit on my knee and she'll be like um yeah she'll kind of just point to it you know and then and I'll be like okay you know that's absolutely fine and then there's a kind of the wheel gets a bit bigger and a bit more precise so is it you know is it is it more like a feeling of frustration or and she'll kind of point to it and I'll be like all right well that's absolutely fine you know I've annoyed you haven't I that's fine and you know we can go through this and it's like okay there is stuff there but like thank god I'm sober and you know we can work through it and and it can stop with me which is just the best feeling kind of thing so yeah I mean amazing and and Nicole I mean I don't have that in my my parents drink but not to you know to sort of um a stressful level in terms of my childhood but I think Nicole is amazing and yeah. you know the fact you're working with them is 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 wicked and what about you Lisa what's your biggest personal growth area I think 
opposite really from Alex is my anxiety has got a lot less since stopping drinking and the way I handle things I'm a lot more self-assured if you like um if I don't like something like when I was drinking I wouldn't be honest about that I wouldn't tell people I'd be so frightened of upsetting anybody or saying the wrong thing and I held so much guilt about Mm. I've always been a guilty person I'm I'm guilty about everything Um, and I'm finding that a lot less now and so if I'm kind of don't like something or if somebody said something that's upset me I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing actually but now I'll kind of say I didn't really like that. You've upset me. And I'd never, ever, ever have done something like that before. You know, if I needed I used to ring you, didn't I? Like, so-and-so's done this and it's really hurt me and it's awful. And she'd be like, well, just tell them. And I'm like, no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, now she tells me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that comes with self-confidence as well. So, like... What I did realise when I'd stopped drinking is that I'd actually been drinking from being 13 because I do have social anxiety and I mm. find um, I, I get nervous and, you know, awkward in situations. So I used to drink excessively to get past that, to skip all them awkward feelings. So I'm a little bit more self-confident now. Like we'll go to the Be Sober meetups or meeting new people. I do overanalyze things a little bit still afterwards, a bit like, oh, did I speak too much? Did I say that? Did I? Yeah. I wish I'd have done that. But I'm finding, I'm finding my people, I think. And I'm finding that it's easier to open up and talk to people um, and to say what I'm thinking. Yeah, that sounds like a lot like me. Um, and I, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I do still get that kind of like, oh, you know, shut up, Mandy. Like, what's going on? Like, why did you go on? Let... But then it's kind of like, oh, oh, well, it's like, it, you know, if it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. And it's that thing of like when you're drinking, like everything gets so big, you know, and it's like, oh, I can't believe I said that. And I can't believe like I did that. And everything just, as you were saying, you know, you start drinking about not only what's going on now, but like everything else that's happened in your life, like from, from the beginning becomes these massive things. And, and, and I think when you stop drinking, you can just go like, you can just be a bit mindful to be like, well, this, this is about this situation, not about everything. Like, cause I still struggle with grief and, um, a friend of mine who died last year, um, it was his anniversary the other day. And, and I realized like I was really, really overwhelmed in the morning. And I realized that actually a lot of what I was see- feeling wasn't about him. It was about me. And it was about what had happened and the context that he was my boyfriend before I got attacked. So, you know, it was connected to some sort of, you know, um, innocence about me. And so it was so much my story. And when I could just go, OK, you know, right, I don't need to actually deal with all that now. And I am dealing with it. I go to therapy like, yeah. I'm, you know, doing EMDR. I've got that st- but I don't need to put all of that on his death. Then I could just be like, okay, I'm just going to celebrate him and think about him. And it just sort of relieves that kind of overwhelm of emotions, which I think so many of us do. And especially if you're sensitive or you've had adverse childhood experiences that have, you know, you haven't had that ability to get emotionally intelligent, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're doing now. Like, oh, shit, not another thing. Like, how do I deal with this? Okay, let's read some more. Let's try I another know. meditation or whatever. Like, Jesus. Um, but thank God we get the chance to. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, better that way than the other way of just, like, numbing it all out. and Because it doesn't go away, you know. No, it's just the opposite. We've yeah. we both we talked quite a lot about this. You know, my, my dad died over 10 years ago and he'd he'd been sober for 10 years before he passed away and Lisa's um stepdad died over 20 years ago (laughs) and we we just can't we're grieving again it's like it's like the grief didn't actually happen because the alcohol stopped it from happening and then all of a sudden you're sober and you're raw and it's there and you're like oh my god why am I still crying over somebody that died over 20 years ago or 10 years ago and it can really hit you by surprise as well you know it can be at the most weirdest moments and you're like oh mm. my god my yeah. grandma's died yeah yeah and that's it and it's like because Kate and I have talked a lot about this and it you know it's like we've lost that 
you know, we don't mourn anymore and we don't have rituals about kind of these things of like in the past, it would be like you'd give yourself a month to yeah. be in bed and, you know, and wail at the, at the the death of someone. And now we're just sort of supposed to kind of get on with it. And what I mean, what I tend to do now is my kind of emotional reference is my kids. And it's like, because they will, they'll properly be upset about something. Yeah. But then they'll they'll get on with their lives. Whereas like I tend to be like that guilt thing of like, right, I need to stay in this place forever because I don't know how to like deal with it. Like they'll be super, super sad. And then they'll be like, what's for tea? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. Um, and it is it's good. It's like, oh, OK, that's how you do it. You know, it's just like deal with it and then get over it. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> Who knew? Child again. <laughs> Yeah. So in terms of kind of like your self-care and your sober toolkit, what do you what are your go to things if you are finding things difficult or to kind of keep you sober? What do you what's in your toolkit? Mine's exercise and the audio books. And I'm just going to keep it really simple because if I'm feeling stressed, I run and I run and listen until I don't feel stressed anymore. And it's dead simple for me because I'm not, a you know, as you I'm not a paint your nail kind of person. I let them chip off and I'm terrible with looking after them. Um, Lisa will phone me and say, have a bath, take your tablets, you know, it will be like that. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to go for a run. And that's that's what I do. So it's very simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and you? Probably walking the dog. That I rescued a dog two years ago and I always say he actually rescued me because, mm. you know, I've got to go out and walk in. And in the early days, I used to do a lot of walking and I found that's kind of slapped off the poor thing. <laughs> it's just like a quick round the block now. Um, I'm very good at giving advice for self-care, if I'm honest, but not so great at taking it. Um, so I did buy myself a self-care basket. So, like, I went to TK Maxx and I got face masks and derma rollers and, you know, all these different things. So, sometimes I, I will kind of sit and go, right, let's do that. But tidying up as well. Mm. I, I She's always tidying up. But it makes me feel better. Like, I can't do things until I'm in a tidy house. So, that's kind of my self-care. And that I tidy up. And, yeah, and, and meditate as well. Um, every morning I do just 12 minutes meditation and that is completely and I've had to practice that I know that is not as easy said as it is done Um, and there's some days I spend 12 minutes going oh it must be 12 minutes now (laughs) and and all the days I really benefit massively from it so yeah (laughs) and she yeah I totally resonate is like 30 seconds with most things you'll see she starts fidgeting and I don't mean that in a negative way yeah so to meditate for 12 minutes is like world record for her <laughs> yeah that is hard I mean I don't think I could do 12 minutes it's like five minutes I'm like oh, it's over yet well, that's but, yeah really that's the biggest because that's helped me realize how well I am doing yeah. it <laughs> yeah oh yeah um yeah I mean I, I think that's the thing like with self-care I mean I would say I'm still not that good at self-care but like I'm a lot better than I was so mm. it's like yeah you know progress not perfection and all that yes, sort of stuff definitely. um so tell us about sober experiment what do you do the podcast other things how did it come about well it came about on a walk so we, we were literally just together after I'd got sober and we were just talking about all these things we'd love to tell people and we'd love to do a podcast and we'd love to do a few meetups and we'd love to shout it out from the rooftops so we did and it was <laughs> It, it, that's how it came about it was literally let's do this on a Friday and by the Monday we had the mic we had the software <laughs> we were doing a podcast our first one uh, we couldn't believe we were doing a podcast we couldn't even get the first one recorded it took us hours didn't it for laughing oh yeah we couldn't stop laughing it was it was awful. it took us 40 minutes to just introduce ourselves literally we were just useless but yeah we've that's been really self-healing as well, hasn't it? It's yeah. just really helped mm. us to talk through lots of things. And um, so we've loved doing that. But our biggest thing is the workplaces. Yes. We're um, we're really passionate about this one. And like Alex said, we really wanted to share how amazing sobriety was. So what better place to actually go to people's places of work where they can't escape you? <laughs> And, and tell them so we kind of we don't go in in a preachy way no. do we at all you know we just kind of want people to see the other side like something that 
affected me when I'd stopped drinking was when I realised that I'd been sold a lie for all these years. Mm. The, the marketing and the alcohol industry kind of yeah. frustrated us, didn't it? And it's like people should know about this because we're led to believe that we have to drink, that we must drink at funerals, at weddings, at celebrations. And, you know, people... It's like, oh, wait till you're 18, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And people in jobs as well, you know, they've got stressful jobs and it's absolutely seen as normal to relieve yourself from that stress with a glass of wine after work and bosses are buying bottles to win and things like that. So fridge Fridays. Yeah. In mm. They actually have fridge-free Fridays in a lot of places, which we, we were really shocked about. I was horrified. I loved that in my early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have been like, I'm getting a job there. But, you know, it's actually really dangerous. Um, Mm -hmm. So we kind of want to just go into these workplaces and show them that there is another way so they can then make informed choices. So what we do is we kind of encourage them to take on a 30-day experiment with us. Mm -hmm. So by taking on that 30-day experiment, they get daily inspirational videos of us. They can write in a journal. And... In that 30 days, we really try and work on the mindset and doing it in a positive way. So it's not just, right, let's have 30 days off and let's all get hammered at the end. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, let's really try and see how much of the mindset we can change in that time, isn't it? Yeah, and it is successful because we've had lots of people from who've joined our Facebook group in the early days. um, They're still sober. Which Since is like just August, they were doing 30 days and they're still sober. So we know Amazing. it is having an impact. Um, so, yeah, we do that. We, we, we're about to go out to a recovery, um, a rehab centre next week, which we won't name for obvious reasons, but we're about to go to go there and do sort of, you know, the transition stage. So we know there's some excellent services out there, like, you know, AA and Al-Anon and, and the others. And then we've got these residential rehab centres, but there doesn't seem to be much for the in-between. So when they leave the rehab centre, just the normal life stuff, unless they want to go on to AA. So we're, we're working with uh, rehabilitation centres to see if we can offer an alternative service. Um, we've Amazing. Next week. Um, we've booked in to go and do some PSHE assembly talks for schools because my background is teaching, so I've got some good connections there. And I barely went to school, so I'm absolutely shitting myself. (laughs) 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 So I'll just stand at the front and she can just wave and things. (laughs) I know it's hard, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, then you have, I mean, uh, my school history is not great either. And, you know, but but I was, I went, I used to be a university professor, so I I, I went good in the end but yeah. um uh yeah when you when you're faced with your kids it's like how much do I tell them and how much do I not tell them yeah. <laughs> what is what is good for what's going to help you stay motivated and uh but I mean I, I tend to be honest but yeah school going into school would be a kind of challenging environment for me too I think yeah. <laughs> but good but you know well done I mean it sounds amazing and uh, obviously we'll put all your links and stuff like that on the podcast notes but if people want to get in contact with you uh, what's the best way to get in contact so um our instagram is at sober experiment our facebook is at sober experiment and then there's our email um sober experiment at gmail.com if people want to contact us that way we also have a web page so but yeah which is www.soberexperiment.co.uk yeah she got the end right which is good um, <laughs> Um, and we've obviously got our upcoming event which we just want to give a little mention if that's all right yeah of course yeah 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 um so this is a one-off event really it was going to be a tour but we decided that it's a one-off event oh it's been too hard (laughs) (laughs) it came about because William Porter said to us why don't you come to London and we went okay and like everything else when we sort of get an idea we roll with it and yeah so we've got our event at Redemption in Notting Hill on the 28th of March there are only a few tickets left now on Eventbrite but if you pop on our Instagram or our Facebook our links there to be able to get a ticket if you want to come and see the lovely Mandy in action yeah. as well <laughs> the yeah so there's me, me William Porter and Simon Chapel and yeah. Sober Dave and, and Sober Dave and you and you ladies yeah so it's gonna be so what's gonna be on we're gonna do a panel there's going to be mocktails with 
vibe. Yep. Yes, vibe drinks. Um, the idea as well for this is we really want to express if anybody is thinking about going to there but they're scared because they want, you know, going on their own. It, it, it can be scary going to yeah. something like this, but we really, really want people to face that fear, buy a ticket and come and see us because, you know, you can make some of the best friends. And I think you never have to worry about what to talk about, do you, when you don't drink? No, no, definitely not. And I think that, uh, and again, you don't have to be fully sober to do this event because we have said sober curious and anyone thinking about what life's like. And I think that's the idea of the panel, really, that we'd like Mm. you guys to be talking about the positives of sobriety and, you know, how how you live a sober life effectively. Because I think a lot of people think, like Lisa said earlier, you have to be drunk, you have to drink. And that Mm. that isn't the case so yeah there's a mocktail masterclass there's there's food there's drinks there's fun yeah I think we've done done amazing (laughs) yeah and um yeah it was interesting a guy contacted me who's kind of um I think he's doing a he's changing his career so he decided to to look at you know dry bars and and what is kind of out there and he said he's kind of sober curious and and he's just had no idea, like, that how many groups there were, how many people there were. You know, he's like, I literally thought that this was, like, a new idea. And I was like, <laughs> no, you're, you're kind of like, um, you know, it's like, brilliant. You're like, crack on. But, there, yeah, obviously, there is there is a whole movement of people and a whole huge community. And he said it's been amazing. Like, And that's also the thing, that when you reach out to people, they're not going to be, like, they're not going to not have time to talk to you, you know, because we've all been there and we've all had the same experience. So that common and shared experience is brilliant for, as you say, for a conversation starter. It's yeah. just like, hi, yeah, oh, I get it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I understand. You know, I've I've been there too. And and there's a lot there's a lot less bullshit in conversation, which you know I like. And a lot less repetition. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, well, we'll draw it to a um, a close now. But before we finish, we always have a tip of the day and your reason to love sober. So, what's your tip of the day if you've got one each? My tip is exercise because it keeps you focused on some goal. And I love sober because I can do that every single day and I don't have to worry about my hangover. Amazing. Okay. Oh, why didn't I think of this? <laughs> no. My tip of the day would definitely be to read. To read and read and read because I just think it helps loads. And reasons to love sober. Like, what reasons are there not to love sober? Like, every single, everything good that has happened in my life in the last two years, I put down to sobriety. And I genuinely really do. There's not a day goes by where I think, well, if I weren't sober, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I just blame it for every good thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much. It's been brilliant talking to you, and I know it'll be really inspirational for people. And, and go and check them out. Check out the website, the Facebook group, the podcast. And, yeah, if you haven't booked your ticket yet for London, then please come because it would be great to meet you. And, you know, if you're worried about coming on your own, you can always send either me or send the girls um, a, a message on Instagram and, and, you know, we can look out for you and, and make sure you're you're not alone. So, um if uh, you are immediately concerned about your drinking, please, you know, reach out to your GP or reach out to us or any other sober group. Um, there's the uh, confidential us, the doctor service on Soberistas, which can be really helpful. Um, and yeah, just just know that you're not alone. And um, there's many of us out there and we've all got our stories and they might not all be the same. But at the, at the end, we all have that common thing that our lives have got better because we stopped drinking so thanks very much girls and um i will see you next week uh, hopefully with kate as well for more chat fab see you later